read a poem. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Shall We Read a Poem? I'm Russ. I'm Lauren, and I showed up late. (laughs) You were dealing with kittens. Actually, I kind of, I showed up a little early, and then I decided maybe I'd gotten the time wrong, and then I wandered off, and then I realized I had had the time right to begin with, and you were waiting. To anyone listening, they can, uh, the the timing is always the same, because they can listen to us whenever they dang well please. That's true, I'm just vocalizing my guilt. (laughs) Well, not a source of concern. There may be an occasional chirp or or trill from Minerva the cat. (laughs) Yeah, that's Minerva. Hello, Minerva. How old is Minerva? I have no idea. She came from like a hoarding or colony situation, so nobody has any idea. Aww, I'm guessing she's sweet. I'm guessing three years old. She's really sweet. Uh, she's my foster cat. I was going to try to get her into a program at the Oregon Humane Society, and she totally flunked it. <laughs> and how does one flunk a humane society program? Well, you go to the intake and you freak out. Well, I mean, it's a cat. It's not like it's going to come when called or anything or sit. Yeah, but you like, when they see a cat that's scared, they'll try to approach it with uh, like a, a back scratcher or something to touch it so they won't get their hands bitten. And she bit the back scratcher. I don't <laughs> think she would bite someone's hand, but she will totally bite the hell out of an inanimate object. Oh, is she, is she looks perfectly peaceful now. She's extremely sweet. She just really hates cages. Uh, well, I mean, coming from a situation like that, it's understandable. Yeah, well, I mean, no one likes cages. I mean, maybe somebody are into it. But then again, that probably brings us on to some other kink. <laughs> so we, we are fast evolving this podcast forcefully. Whether it likes it or not. Someone will always like it. Someone will always like it. Well, do you have one to start or should I? Why don't you start today? Okie dokie. Well, I'm going to start off with Lester by Shel Silverstein. Lester was given a magic wish by the goblin who lives in the banyan tree. And with his wish, he wished for two more wishes. So now instead of just one wish, he cleverly had three. And with each one of these, he simply wished for three more wishes, which gave him three old wishes plus nine new. And with each of these twelve, he slyly wished for three more wishes, which added up to forty-six. Or is it fifty-two? Well, anyway, he used each wish to wish for wishes till he had five billion, seven million, eighteen thousand thirty-four. And then he spread them on the ground, and clapped his hands and danced around, and skipped and sang and then sat down, and wished for more and more and more they multiplied while other people smiled and cried and loved and reached and touched and felt lester sat amid his wealth stacked mountain high like stacks of gold sat and counted and grew old and then one thursday night they found him dead with his wishes piled around him. And they counted the lot and found that not a single one was missing. All shiny and new. Here, take a few and think of Lester as you do. 
in a world of apples and kisses and shoes. He wasted his wishes on wishing. What do you think the physical object of a wish looks like? Well, I've been reading a lot of Brandon Sanderson lately, so I picture it looking like a uh, stormlight gem, like like a jewel with, with 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 a little raging storm at its heart. Does that exist? Uh, not to my knowledge. Yeah, I was just wondering. I mean, wishes don't either, but I mean, they do in a metaphysical sense. I mean, they are a thing. Yes, I mean, they're not the they're not a physical object, but they are a thing that exists. What do they look like in your mindscape? Paper paper yeah intriguing tell me why well for some reason i think of something like indulgences or a check or when something is non-specific it can be a fairly blank piece of paper with just a little bit of an instruction on it intriguing i picked lester because i have been trying very consciously to be a little bit more mindful i am now 39 years of age, and have realized just how much of existence I have taken for granted, and the concept of blindly wanting more is something I'm trying to get past. I feel like I'm not really in much of a state right now to want more, because I feel like, I mean, I have enough in terms of physical comfort but I have just had a really difficult past five years. And so I just want some like hope and good news and uh, some fortune, a little bit more fortune that isn't something that's, that's like material or wealth or something like that. Because I have a house. I have ample money at this time. It's nothing major, but I'm a very frugal person. Like, my material needs are met in a modest way, but I just want something that will make me feel happier or reassured or safe or something. I imagine that reassurances like that exist on a lot of levels. And, of course, a big source of anxiety is what we talked about last week, how your friend is you know, being met with a pretty profound diagnosis. Right. And so an assurance of wellness for those you care about. And for myself. I mean, that would be that would be a nice thing to have. Right. I mean, whenever, with this litany of death that has befallen people I love, I also fear for myself. It seems like inevitably my turn will be, and it will be soon. And so I just want some assurance that it isn't. It isn't coming for me, and it isn't coming for anybody I love, at least not for a long time. Why do you have this sense of proximal dread? My mother died when she was 39, and I am 37. Mm-hmm. And my friend is 44. This podcast was started with your dad, and he lived a very long and full life. This podcast was started. was supposed to start recording the day my dad died. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he did have a long life, like he lived to be 80. Was he happy with it? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. He says he had a good life, but there was so much pain and disappointment in his life. that, And he suffered from depression deeply. And so, is that a good life? 
there were certainly parts of his life that were good, I know. And I know that the biggest thing in his life were my sister and myself, but are, did he feel when he was going that my sister and I were doing well? Because I don't feel like I'm doing well, and my sister doesn't feel like she's doing well. But I hope he thinks we were, do- we're doing well. I recall once being taken aback. I was at a point in my existence where I was dissatisfied with everything. And, you know, a whole lot of self-pity. And indeed, I, ha- I had everything material I wanted, but nothing really else. And I recall having um, someone that I worked with approach me and just out of the blue say, man, I really want your life. And at the time I was like, I don't want my life. What are you talking about? And the idea that your own self-image and your own satisfaction with existence versus the front you put on, I think that's the first time I've ever experienced that kind of dissonance where you come off a certain way to other people and your own satisfaction doesn't mirror what others, I guess, think you should have, which is a strange thing to say. But, you know, we do victim blame a lot like that where it's like, Oh, why are you unhappy? You have every reason to be happy and, you know, fill in inter depression and anxiety and all that. There's a lot you can look at my life and be like, yeah, that's really good. You can look at like, but I'm pretty sure you could take everything that I have, offer it to someone and be like, you can have all this, but five people you love have to die. And you, maybe one of your best friends will also die. You're not sure yet. Are you going to take that bargain? Fuck no. No. <laughs> Yeah, I was re-watching The Lord of the Rings recently, and, you know, there's that old quote from Gandalf. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Yeah, there are a lot of things I like to do, Russ, but I just, I just need to stop grieving before I can do them. By way of example? I just want, I don't want anything too much. I just want, I want days that are free from worry. I want to travel more and that's not, that's not, that can still be done. There's still time for that, I think. I think most, when I think about what I want to do, most of what I want to do involves travel. I think I'm the same. But a lot of what I want, why I love travel so much is I get to be in a place where I'm not thinking as much about what I'm what's going like the things that are concerning me in my daily life i used to have a lot of trouble with traveling alone for the funniest reason it it wasn't because i wasn't i was not good at it or i i that i would run into obstacles i didn't know how to deal with that much it was that i wasn't sure i was doing it right <laughs> but without as though, as though there's a right or wrong way well i i mean in a way in a sense there is because I, you know you may only get one chance to go to certain places and how are you making the best of that one chance (laughs) and so when i'm traveling with people i have the ability to reflect to them and have them reflect to me what they're experiencing and what it means to them and you know get their knowledge about what we're doing get their opinion and when it's just me i'm like what should i be doing i remember this very poignantly i was on a on a carousel in Japan in this place that I think it was similar to the place with a lot of lights that are in Blade Runner. And I remember just being on this carousel being like, the fuck am I doing? Is this what I should be doing? Why am I here? (laughs) 
Maybe I should be doing something else. Like, is this how I should experience this moment? This one opportunity I have to be in this place. And around and around I went with my cyclical thoughts. <laughs> oh, spiraling on a carousel. Sorry, it wasn't a carousel. It was a uh, Ferris wheel. No, I, I think you might have said Ferris okay. wheel. Or did you? I don't know. I might have said carousel. They both go around and around in just different directions. Different axes. Mm-hmm. Uh, may I tell a story sure. that I'm, I'm sure I've told you about this, um, but you know it, it might make for good airtime about whether or not you're traveling or living correctly in the moment. Sure. This was in Japan when I went back for our friend Corey's wedding. And I was there for, I think, like five days or something. And if you go on YouTube right now and you put in any amount of time in Japan you will get the list of things that you quote-unquote must do. You know, it's like you have to, oh, I don't know, climb Mount Fuji, eat this thing in Osaka, touch this thing in Tokyo, like, like, and you'll get the tourist list of things. And so one night I was there, and this was after the uh, what amounted to a rehearsal, I guess, and what are you going to do with a night in Tokyo? Well, such as it was, I didn't know what to do. And so I went and found a little tiny shady bar underneath a bridge. And it was called Bar Courage. And I was staying in Omiya. And I had maybe passed through Omiya previously. um, But I had never wandered around and explored. And so I was just sort of doing that. And I go into this place and there is one other person there. Like there's a little selection of tables that may or may not have had people. But there was one other guy at the bar. And so I sauntered over and ordered something, and he was watching a baseball game on TV. And it was very clear that his team was not doing well. And so at some point, he sort of gave up hope and slumped. And I said something in Japanese to console him. Ah, And um, then he struck up a conversation, and he asked me where I was from, and I answered him. And when I said Texas, he switched to English and perfect English. And I was like, that's weird. And he goes, where in Texas are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Dallas. And he leaned back in his chair and he said, Natsukashi. Which in Japanese refers to a feeling of nostalgia. Well, he goes into his wallet and pulls out a 20-year-old Texas driver's license and plunks it on the bar. And I look at the address on the license it is the address of the university where i was teaching at the time well so i reach in pull out my faculty id and plunk that on the bar next to him dude freaks out turns out now he's a cop in uh saitama prefecture and uh, i drank for free that night i mean he every single he he turned out to be a regular at this bar And every single person who came through the door, he introduced me to and launched into the story about how now I'm teaching at the university that he was a student at and all that. And I mean, like, like for the night. And so I have his business card to this day. And so did I do the right thing by going to a nameless bar in a nameless part of town? Well, not according to any tourist guide, not according to any list of things that I should do. Well, right, but I don't I don't know. I don't have questions about those moments when you like I think it's my own insecurity about 
myself because I don't really have a problem when I'm making a connection with someone about thinking about whether or not it's worth it. It's when I'm sort of freewheeling around by myself that I like am losing my shit. I might argue that you can't get to the connection without the freewheeling. Right. Yeah. No, I would say there's there's a lot of that, but mostly I don't make any connections at all and I just lose my shit. <laughs> and that to me I don't know if that any has anything to do with mindfulness. I think it's more just I don't know, pub culture and opening up dialogues with other people, but you know, it is a weird coincidence though. It's pretty neat. I would love to work out like a tight tin or something based around that, but it's a story without a punchline. Like there's no there's no good part to it. I think the punchline is when uh, is when you pull out your ID. It is. Yeah. After that, it's just a weird long denome. I had a great big guy with a gr- I had a huge beard at the time and uh, an even bigger Japanese guy, but he had kind of a patchy beard. Uh, got really drunk and called me his senpai all night long. So I thought that was funny. <laughs> That's cute. But anywho, did you? Have, we, we've been we've been talking about mindfulness and fears and such for a minute now. Do you have a poem that you wanted to do? I do. It's very it's very short. I feel like we're going through a lot of the short poems, and then as this goes on, we're gonna have to get into the longer ones. Well, Lester is a full page. Oh, that's, I'll that's you thank now. you, thank you for taking that for the team. <laughs> and I particularly like that poem. All right, this one is called Early Bird. Oh, if you're a bird, be an early bird and catch the worm for your breakfast plate. If you're a bird, be an early bird. But if you're a worm, sleep late. And a very simple illustration to go along with it. Yeah, it's a worm sticking its head out and a bird diving in to get the worm. (laughs) That's the end of it. Yeah. Did you have a reason for selecting early bird? Yeah, I've been thinking about probabilities. And, uh, oh boy! Especially as they relate to populations. So right now, the East Coast is having the problem with brood X, which is the cicadas that have been underground for over a decade, coming out and being everywhere. And yes, Russ, you look like you want to say something. This, I, for our viewers and me, would you repeat what they're calling this brood? Brood X. I assume it means brood ten but I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I like I like Brood X way better because that's the name of a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any case, the last time it happened, I was 19, and the time before that, I was two. I haven't been on the East Coast while the cicada has have been happening uh, this time around, but I will be going for my dad's memorial in July, so maybe they'll still be happening then, and I'll have the misfortune of that again because they sound like a chorus of chainsaws. <laughs> like when I was 19 and home from college for the summer, I remember at some point just going out into the backyard of my parents' house and they live in the woods, which is just full of cicadas and just screaming, oh, for the love of God, please shut up. Like I just could not stand the incessant noise and it does go off at a certain time of night, but like, all during your daylight, you are listening to this screech of chainsaws. So this isn't like that breed of cicada that only screams at like sundown. This is an all-day scream. This is an all-day scream night. thing. Yeah. So the the way the reason supposedly that the cicadas do this is because by coming out all at once, they 
overwhelm the predators. So they're trying to, like, supposedly, so what we think is they're trying not to line up with the peak of predators' populations. So they go on a, a year on a year that isn't part of a predator uh, reproduction cycle. Uh, the other thing is that if you come out in a big population, one, you'll be more likely to find a mate, and two, it'll be less likely that it is you that is eaten. So that's why they think this cicada thing happens like it does. When you said overwhelm the predators, I immediately pictured a predator trying to consume one cicada and all of his brethren just <laughs> filling the mouth and, and smothering the predator on cicadas. <laughs> I like that. Well, we'll fix you. Well, they do overwhelm humans. I've heard. I've heard that they are a cause of traffic accidents a lot in uh, during cicada years because people roll down their windows because it's hot. And cicadas come in and they freak out and crash their car. And I have to say, I had a cicada come in my car. And it wasn't that I'm afraid of bugs so much as that a giant thing that I wasn't expected came by my head. And I did not crash the car. But for a moment until I figured out it was a cicada, I definitely freaked out. And they feel like getting hit by rocks. Like these little fellas are dense. Yeah, it at least feels like someone's throwing like a... Well, I wanted to say, like, large beans, but I don't think there's, like, <laughs> there isn't really a bean large enough. One of those Brock's Easter jelly beans. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I do know <laughs> what you're talking about. Okay. The, the, the ones yes. you haven't thought of in, like, 20 years. They're, like, yes. this big and hot yes. pink. Yes, or some other hard, some kind of hard candy. Just getting beaned with one of those. But I was thinking about my impression of the odds when I was a kid versus now. And it has a lot to do... Okay, so it is unusual. So my friend has this very rare and deadly cancer. Uh, It's so rare that there's only been 400 recorded cases since the late 19th century. Wow. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those probably just didn't go recorded. There were probably a lot more cases than that. But that's how it is. And uh, so what are the odds of that? Well, approximately 408 billion. Yeah, I know. It's not... It's incredibly rare. And what are the... uh, So... I was recently listening to the podcast You're Wrong About, and they had this amazing episode on the DC Sniper. Mm. And so growing up in Maryland, the DC Sniper was a big happening. And uh, I remember not being very afraid because the uh, I knew the odds of my parents who worked in the DC suburbs getting shot by the sniper to be very low. And not only that, because but most of the victims of the DC snipers were from poor communities who had to be outside a lot. And my parents would be commuting to work with the other private cars and such. So it was, it was very low. And when September 11th rolled around, I wasn't particularly afraid of terrorist attacks because I knew the odds were very low. As I've been getting older, my anxieties of things that are have low probability have been increasing. And it isn't exactly an irrational thing. When I was younger, I had experienced very few low probability things. Except I think we'd say that the biggest one is that my mother died at age 39. That's a pretty low probability thing. Mm-hmm. As I've been getting older, the thing with numbers is the more opportunities there are for something to happen, the more likely it is that something has happened. So the, the fact that I'm having more anxiety about low probability things is because... There have been more opportunities for things to happen, and so more things have happened. And when the timeline gets long enough, everything is going to happen. Yes, exactly. 
so that's what it was just that that I was thinking about how when I was younger I had felt I had a reasonable reaction to to low probability horrible things happening and now they are equally as likely to happen but I've seen them happen a number of times and so I am scared shitless there was a DC sniper or in this case like a Portland sniper even with a probability of being really low I would be scared because I have seen low probability terrible things happen a lot of times and to echo an earlier sentiment I, I, your feelings are valid like it, it it makes sense that you would be scared particularly these things that just happen meaninglessly that we can't control it's like what are the what are the odds of getting this incredibly rare cancer well it's incredibly rare so right. the odds are very low but did it happen sure and if you examine all of the things that could happen to you at any moment you'd go mad I, and I, I cycle back to that Gandalf quote where it's like, what can we do? Nothing. Uh, all we can do is just make the most of the moment we have. And that's why when I was traveling alone, I would get terrified. Because what if I was not making the most of the moment I had? And if, But if you were enjoying it, you made the most of it. But I wasn't because I was being anxious and freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was going to say they need to legalize pot, but it's legal in Oregon and you don't like it. Assisted suicide is legal in Oregon. It's legal in Canada too. That's I'm good. Get that out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I hope I don't need to use it for a very long time. But it, that is a little bit of a reassurance, and I don't know if it's a reassurance for my friend, but selfishly, it's a little bit of a reassurance for me that yeah. I that if she doesn't want to see the very end of it, she doesn't have to. If things get too bad, there is a way out. Since my mother died of cancer when I was very young, I've been very afraid of cancer and cancer has been following me everywhere like disproportionately cancer has been following me everywhere and i do think the odds of this happening are all very low and yet they yet they still have been happening but several years ago i had a cancer scare where i had a 75 percent chance of having cancer mind you it was thyroid cancer where if you're gonna get cancer i guess that's the one to get but Mm -hmm. uh i read the report from the uh, ultrasound they did on my thyroid on the nodule that was there and I looked it up and it was a 75% chance of it being cancer it wasn't what and what an what a great time to bring up the odds yeah I'm going to close with a very short poem because I think this is going to crown us nicely (laughs) the battle by Shel Silverstein would you like to hear of the terrible night when I bravely fought the no All right. Thanks, Russ. (laughs) 